0: We are starting First Chronicles, and uh, this is really an uh, uh, an, uh, an unusual book of the Bible in that it's not; it doesn't seem to be written for the same reason that some of the other historical books were written. Um, Samuel presents uh, the line of David and uh, the kingship of Saul and David. Kings is really more about the building of the temple under Solomon, and then what happened. Between the northern and southern tribes, um, and uh, this one is a little bit different because it really is, is, uh, in my opinion, designed to answer one question, and which is which accounts for why it's written the way that it's written. Um, you know, Kings just starts pow and with uh, with with really the death of King David. Samuel begins pow with the birth of Samuel the prophet, but this one begins with nine chapters of genealogies. And I'm going to attempt, if I could ever stop talking about this and just get to it, we're going to try to get through four of those chapters today. Um, So I've got about 105 slides to go through uh, just for this session. Um, And some other things, we'll talk about art theft and the Philistines and some other things. Um, But... Let's uh, just cover a couple of things. One is the title of the book, Chronicles. Um, on your handout, you see that in Hebrew, the book is called Divrei Hayamim, the book of days, or words about the days or the events, which kind of translate to Chronicles. Um, the Greek name for the book is unusual because it's called Paralipomenon which really means additions. Um, but if you read Samuel and Kings, Chronicles seems more like a condensation than additions. But there are a couple of things in Chronicles that are different. The biggest difference you'll notice between Chronicles and Kings is that Chronicles does not tell the stories of the northern tribes or the northern kings. That's not part of Chronicles. This is all about Judah. And therefore, the northern prophets. And who are the two biggest prophets to the north? Well, Elijah and Elisha. And they are not in Chronicles. Um, so this is all about the southern tribes and about what happened down here. So if we go to author, um, we don't really know who wrote Chronicles. It's not We're not told who wrote Chronicles. However, the last chapter of Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra are almost identical. Um, and tradition says that Ezra may have assembled Chronicles or may have written it down. Wow, If uh, when you get to certain books of the Bible like Proverbs, um, everybody kind of points to Ezra. I wonder how busy that guy was. Um writing his book and maybe compiling the Proverbs, maybe also compiling the Psalms into the order that we have them today, plus writing down Chronicles and so forth. Um, wonder what else he did you know, with his days, but some people just produce a lot, don't they? Um, the reason Ezra's name seems pretty logical is the date, because it was written in the early part of the 6th century, the 500s BC, the last event is just at the beginning of of that century 586 is the return of the exiles from captivity. Um, So that's how I'm giving away the ending. Um, That's an important consideration here. Um, And so it's really about the purpose is about Israel's history um, for the returning exiles. And that's where we get to this question is god still interested in us there's a focus on the temple and here is really the purpose or theme are we still god's people are we still god's people and if you under, if you if you if you accept that as the theme of the book um, then the different things that make up the book, like the genealogies, for example, they begin to make a lot of sense. Uh, these are some people, but we are this people. Um, how did we get to where we are today? Um, and so going from Adam through Abraham, very quickly through the children of Israel, the sons of Israel, to Saul, then to David, Solomon, the kings who followed Solomon, the exile, and then the return from the exile, are we still God's people? Um, That will begin to answer some of the questions. And the focus on the temple, why would it matter if we're focusing on the temple to answer the question, are we still God's people? That's this place for worship and sacrifice. So if God is still accepting us in his temple, we are still his people. And what is our focus on the tabernacle and later on the temple especially. Um, and most of the temple stories, I'm just going to give away something else about the book. Most of the temple stories are good temple stories. So there are some bad temple stories in the book of Kings, but this is mostly the good stuff. The author wants us to understand our good relationship. I'm speaking as a returned Israelite here, but because uh, that's the audience. Um, but our relationship with God. By the way, this isn't an actual photograph of exiles. Um, but it is a, a group of Jews in the early 20th century. So the outline of the book that we have, uh, uh, this includes 2nd Chronicles, is just briefly um, some genealogies from the creation to the, that would be restoration. Then the end of the reign of King Saul. The author is not too concerned about all the things that Saul did. He's more concerned about the transition from Saul's death to David. And so that's what we spend time on. Then the reign of David is the balance of the rest of 1 Chronicles, which is how the book of 2 Samuel ends. And then the reign of Solomon, 2 Chronicles, which is how really 1 Kings begins, is the reign of Solomon. And then the great schism, or the division of the kingdom that happened, and then the various kings of the, of the centuries, 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th, and the very beginning of the 6th century B.C. How can he get so much into so little space? Well, because in Kings, we're worried about both north and south. But in Chronicles, it's just the south. That's why this book can be about the same length and yet cover um, more territory, as it were. Just something about genealogies. Um, not every generation is included. If you're going to be really picky and do a lot of homework, you'll find that there are generations in other places, in Genesis, for example, um, and in Luke, that are not present here in Chronicles. Um, there is, uh, this is also a satisfying way for Israel to account for their whole history in just listing things. Um, when I uh, recently looked up my grandfather's history, my grandpa Raminger, I found many names I remembered from my childhood of funerals I went to um, in the in the early days and so forth. And uh, a quick way to list people. And then every chapter of genealogy, just notice this: every chapter of genealogy contains at least one oasis, one story to focus on. Might be only a half a verse, or it might be a couple of verses. Um, Do you remember a couple years ago, more than a couple, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot around about something called the prayer of Jabez? Do you remember that? Well, that's in these opening chapters of Chronicles. That's where that little, it's two verses. That's where that shows up. And there used to be all kinds of stuff. There's a book about it and other books and Bible studies and things, but it's really, it's just a one guy's prayer. But it's an example of one little oasis in Chronicles. Why use genealogies? Well, the captives returning had this serious problem. Are we still Israel? And some, for example, there were Levites who could not prove their family lines. Therefore, are they still Levites? You know, and if you're not a Levite, can you be a priest? No, So that was a problem. Some Israelites had intermarried with foreigners. That's certainly brought out in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so to answer this question, are we still the Israel of God? The author reached into the past in general for the nation um, as if to preach the gospel, it's okay. Um, We are still the line of the Savior and, um, and he is still coming. So, The outline of chapter 1, I didn't do an outline of all four of these opening chapters, but of chapter 1, we have Adam to Noah, very quickly, and then the family lines of Noah's sons. Japheth first, then Ham, then Shem. As if to get Japheth out of the way, he's the most distant, you know, one. Uh, Japheth is the ancestor of mostly Gentiles. Ham, a little bit of interrelationship between the the people of Ham and the people of Shem, and they're also the closer neighbors. Um, The the Hamites are going to be involved in the Canaanites and the Egyptians and so forth. And then Shem's family, the descendants that, that become Israel and some of the related nations like Moab and Ammon and so forth. And then there is Abraham's family, Esau's family, and then tucked in at the end of this chapter, rulers of Edom who predate Esau. So they were, they were, we, we knew about rulers, the author is saying, who were over there on the other side of the Dead Sea, but that's before the time of Jacob and Esau. So we just happen to know them too, so he throws them in. There might be some other reason for that, but in the book, that's just kind of what happens. So let's begin with some quick verses. This is verse one, Adam, Seth, Enosh. That's the whole verse. Verse 2, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, then Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. You recognize a couple names there? You recognize Enoch? He's called the seventh from Adam. He's the one who didn't die, who was taken physically up into heaven. We learn more about him actually in the book of Jude. Um, then there's Methuselah. What's the big deal about Methuselah? Longest-lived man we know of, 969 years. Lamech lived 777 years. And both Methuselah and Lamech died in the same year. It was the year of the flood. Yeah, they appear not to have died in the flood, but the year of the flood. My mental picture of that is always of Noah and his sons digging their graves for Methuselah and, and then Grandpa Lamech. And they're kind of padding the dirt with their shovel. And they finish pat, pat, pat. And they just look and then pat, 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 pat. Oh, it starts to rain. um, And then we keep going. But that's my mental picture there. Then the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I wanted to show you this also. This is, let's get a bigger picture of it. This is um, the beginning of 1 Chronicles in Hebrew. Um, So the... um, uh, and you're maybe familiar a little bit with what Hebrew looks like. This is a manuscript from the time of Christopher Columbus or the early life of Martin Luther. Actually, no, it's earlier. It's, it's uh, 13th century. It's the 1200s. Um, and uh, this is called uh, Manuscript 24 Toledo. So it's from, Toledo is uh, uh, Spain. I almost said Ohio. Um, but notice what's wrong with it. Yeah, something somebody cut something out, and if I can just read the words below the cut, it says Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared. So what did they cut out? They cut out the pretty picture that someone drew, that the author, that the, that the scribe drew, in between the book of the Bible that came before this and First Chronicles so somebody had drawn like a little animal or something or a flower or whatever and then somebody came along with a razor and cut out that picture and by the way they did it 39 times so before every old testament book the scribe had drawn a beautiful little picture of something and then this guy came along and cut all of those out of this manuscript and This is not unique. This happens in hundreds of Hebrew manuscripts. Um, When you get to Greek manuscripts, they pretty much leave them alone. Um, What you find are copyists would come along and they would copy the pretty artwork into another book. But in Hebrew manuscripts, somebody comes along with a knife and cuts the stuff out. Why would you do that? Because somebody else would like it very much. In fact, somebody else would like it so much they'd be willing to pay for it. So you cut out the pretty picture, and it becomes something in a girl's locket, or it gets decorated in a in a in a in a some kind of a of a of a Art Deco thing or whatever. And I don't know when they did this, but it's very common in in, in Hebrew manuscripts of all uh, ages. So somebody comes along with a, with a razor blade. However, what's on the back of this sheet? Well, it's the next page. So on the back of this sheet, from chapter 2, there are 17 words missing because of this person. And what, who is this person? How would you label them? I'm going to call them an art thief. Yeah, because that's what he's trying to steal. Um, and just as a matter of interest, this happens to be a, a, a graph of the countries in the world with the most art theft. Um, and Spain, which is where Toledo is from, does not is not represented on this on this wheel. Uh, the big one in the middle, you probably can't read it, can you? It's the big red circle in the middle is Iraq. and the darker red, the less apt we are to recovering that artwork that was stolen. So Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya are the four big ones. And almost none of that gets recovered. Then the next one, well, where is most of the artwork in the world? France. That's the next one. But look at how how pale France is. A lot of that does get recovered. Then Austria, Germany, Ukraine, Romania, Belarus, Serbia, and so forth. Now, this, uh, 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 I'm, I've got an arrow here pointing to a little country. I, as I said, Spain isn't even on this chart, but Italy is. And I think that Italy and Spain probably have a similar rate of, uh, of recovery and so forth. But I'm willing to bet that you could probably walk into somebody's house and find this missing drawing. Somewhere. Um, in fact, when I painted houses in Madison, Wisconsin, we sometimes saw things like this in little frames, in entryways of certain kinds of houses. And I'm not going to go any farther than saying that, but I have seen it, um, uh, uh, pictured places. At the time, I was in my 20s. I didn't know anything about... Hebrew manuscripts or anything. And I thought, oh, that's kind of an odd little tiny thing to have there. Well, now I, I've seen this and now I realize probably what I was looking at. And I'm not going to point any fingers, but I could point a finger. So let's go on with our text. The sons of Japheth, so one of Noah's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togorma. And the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim, and the Rodanim. And when you have a the in front of a name, it usually means a whole people, a race. And maybe they didn't know the dad's name, but they know the race that, the, that, that came out of that. And these are mostly uh, nations then that would be in Greece, Europe, the Mediterranean, and maybe one or two of these in over in India. Ashkenaz in the middle there, probably up in um, western Russia. The sons of Ham, now are moving from Shem to Ham. I'll read most of these. Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. You recognize Cush and Canaan. You also know the country that's pronounced Mitzrayim here in verse 8 because Mitzrayim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. It's always spelled that way in Hebrew. So, in fact, it's a dual, it means the two Egypts. So, whenever you see Egypt in, in, in the Old Testament, it's always this word. And then the sons of Cush, Siba, Havelah, Sabta, Rema and Sabtika. The sons of Rehama were Sheba and Dedan. Remember, recognize the queen of Sheba coming from that line down in Africa somewhere. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on earth. And you recognize that. That's one of these little oases of a story here. We don't have much more of this. But this is Genesis 10, verses 8 and 9 the same guy, same amount of information. So a famous guy that um, our author thought we might know about. And then Mitzrayim was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, and Naphtuhites. I don't know anything about them. But the list continues. The Pathrusites, the Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphtorites. Kaphtor is probably the island of Crete. And there is a connection between the island of Crete those Greeks, and the Philistines. Um, And uh, research was done into that a few years ago. Um, What would 1984 be for us? About 30 years ago? Is that right? Or is it 40 years ago? 30-something. No, almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago. So uh, this is a doctoral thesis that was done from someone in our fellowship, in our synod, um, who lived in New Alm at the time, who looked at pottery of Philistia in Philistia. He went there in archaeological digs and compared other recorded fragments of pottery from that area, from the five Philistine cities, Gath, Ekron, and Ashdod, and so forth, and looked at the archaeological record and put together a possible history of what happened to the Philistines and that kind of thing had never been done before for all of the scholarship that used to get done in the 19th and 20th centuries about ancient peoples this was the first time that anyone actually just said well the Bible says this and the archaeological record says this and look at that they match up no one had ever done that before and by the way that man's name is Dr. John Brug. some of you know him I have a photocopy of that, of his doctoral thesis on that. He um, was, uh, 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 there are a couple of uh, fairly famous archaeologists who he's kept in touch with over the years. And he was talking with a man who's world famous once, who um, then asked him his name. And I said, I'm John Brugge. I'm in a little seminary in Wisconsin you've never heard of. And the guy said, John Brugge, you're the one who taught us something we don't know. That was the guy's reaction to Brugge. Um, and, uh, and because uh, nobody had ever done that before. And wh- why wouldn't you do exactly that? Why wouldn't you look at the archaeological record, assume that what the Bible says is what the Bible means, put them together and say, huh, well, it works. And that's what he did. But, uh, so, and, and by the way, what he found out was that the Greeks from Crete and Cyprus and other places evidently, moved into Philistia at some point um, uh, during what we would call the time of Joshua or the judges. That there was a connect, a contact with the Philistines. But when Moses had gone through there um, and the Israelites, they had gone up, remember the spies had gone up and said, we look like ants to them. You know, they, they're, they're huge. The, the giants are, the Anakim are there. Well, they had seen the tall giant Philistines. A couple generations later, at the end of Joshua and in the book of Judges, there's intermarrying go on, going on, and the, the, the giant Philistines are kind of dying out, but they had joined forces with this group of Greeks, the Caftorites, and the pottery shows that rather than one side wiping out the other, they had decided to get along, and they found out that they worked well together. And so the the Greek Philistines would be the army, and the old giant Philistines would be the heroes, the champions of each division or whatever. And then you get a scene like David in the Valley of Elah, where the Israelites are being taunted by one giant Philistine and a whole bunch of ordinary five-foot-tall Philistines. Um, and then we have the story of David and Goliath. Later in the, or, or earlier than that, not much earlier, but a little bit earlier, you've got a man like Samson, who keeps falling in love with Philistine women. How many women with Samson? Three. Delilah is just one of them. There are three of them. Um, and do you think that they were all nine feet tall and had two heads and twelve fingers and everything? And no, I think they were probably all beautiful, five foot five inch. Philistine women with long brown hair or whatever, but probably that's who Samson keeps falling... I think Samson had a type, but he keeps falling in love with these Philistine women, um, but they're probably all of that Greek descent from the Kaftorites. Okay. Also in, this, in these verses, Canaan, the father of Sidon, his firstborn, Sidon is a city up north in Lebanon, but then of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Chivites... Everybody say Chivites with me. Chivites, that's good, cleans out the throat. Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. And some of these you recognize from other places in scripture, like the Hittites, Jebusites. What's the city of the Jebusites later called? Jerusalem. The people of the Jebusites had one big city. They called it Jebus, or Peace of Jebus, Je- Jebus-Salem. And David thinks, that's a pretty good place for a capital. So they conquer it. That's Jerusalem. Um, The Amorites, you remember that, you've at least heard of Sihon and Og. The Israelites defeated those Amorite kings, and then their Amorite kings and so forth, and the Hivites. Okay. So all from Ham, the tribe of Ham. Then the sons of Shem. And now we have more familiar names. Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, Aram, sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshach, our Faxad, was the father of Shelah. And Shelah, the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. What do we mean that in Peleg's name the earth was divided? It gets talked about in Genesis. Um, So I kind of think that this is where the languages of the earth got divided because it makes sense that about the time of Peleg is when the Tower of Babel took place. Somewhere in there. Um, But that seems to be correct. But then this guy Eber later lives to be older than 400 years old. And this is the man whose name uh, is lent then to the entire tribe of the line of the Savior, Remember that they are never called the Terahites or even the Abrahamites or the Isaacites. You don't hear that, do you? Shouldn't you hear that? Well, no, because Grandpa was still alive and they called themselves by Grandpa's name, the Eberus. So they're called Hebrews after great-grandpa Eber, who's still around, because he is the last of the long-lived patriarchs. Abraham lives a paltry, what, what did that child Abraham lived to, 175. You know, but Grandpa Eber was still around. Then Isaac is around. Isaac has a pretty long life, but Grandpa Eber, then Grandpa Eber finally dies, and the family calls itself then after Jacob, whose name has been changed to Israel. So they go from Hebrews to Israelites, with basically with one funeral, Let's get to Abraham here and then I'll pause again. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimeel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. How would you like to read that quickly in church and have to get it all right? Um, Shem, Arfaxad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Roy, Serug, Nehor, Tira, and Abram, that is Abraham. So at the end there, he lines up, uh, he repeats names and lines up the ancestry of the Savior's line. Um, then the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. Who's Ishmael's mother? Hagar. It is Hagar. Yeah. These were their descendants. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, then Kedar, Abdi'il, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish. And Kedema, these were the sons of Ishmael. I have Tema highlighted. I have a couple of names highlighted in yellow because for the most part, they all seem to show up again in the book of Job. So that time frame of shortly after Abraham's life, maybe Isaac's life or while Jacob was going down to Egypt, we have stuff happening and names showing up that seem to correspond to the book of Job, and that's when I think the book of Job took place. Around 1900, 1850 B.C. seems to be the time for Job. What happens in the 1850s or 60s A.D. in in our country? 1861. Civil War, yeah, the war. Surely you guys aren't old enough that when you say the war, you automatically think of the Civil War. I didn't think so. So okay, but uh, the, but uh, uh, yeah. So um, if you if you throw that to B.C. Job, Job, who's two thousand B.C. What guy? Well, that's Abraham. That's Abraham, and who would be? Uh, corresponding to Luther in 1500 A.D., who would be 1500 B.C.? That's Moses. Okay, so if that that helps you at all, Moses around 1500 or so B.C., 1446 B.C. is Moses. And then around 2000, any, any date in your lifetime would be an Abraham date, if that helps you figure out that part of chronology and so forth. Uh, a little more here. The sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, that is his second wife after Sarah died. Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Oh, Shua, there's a guy in Job named Bildad, the Shuhite. He might actually be the son or grandson of this man, Shua. The sons of Jokshan, Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Midian, Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldeah. All these were descended from... Um, Uh, descendants of Keturah that's uh, Abraham's wife after Sarah dies Abraham was the father of Isaac the sons of Isaac, Esau and Israel the sons of Esau, Eliphaz Ruel, Jeush Jalam and Korah, the sons of Eliphaz Timan, Omar, Zepho sounds like a Marx brother uh, Gatab and Kemaz, and by Timnah Amalek, now Timnah that last name is a woman's name, so evidently Esau has uh, 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 sons by one wife, and then this other woman, Timnah. He has a separate nation in Amalek. And what do you think of the Amalekites when you think that a good group or a bad group? Very bad group, the Amalekites. Um, yeah, <clears throat> the last Amalekite in the Bible. Anybody know who he is? You can trace his ancestry back. It's in the book of Esther. And it's the bad guy Haman in Esther is the and his 10 sons, those are the last Amalekites in the Bible that are left. And one reason why I think the book of Esther got popular with the Jews is finally the end of the Amalekites. Um, in the there in the book of Esther, there are other things about the book of Esther, but um, I'm tearing through this very very quickly. But the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, Miza, the sons of Sayir, Lotan, Shobel, zibian, Anah, Dishan, Azer, and Dishan. The sons of Lotan. By the way, Lotan is one letter off from being the word Leviathan. Lotan was. Uh, a Canaanite god. Um, and so that word shows up a lot and I kind of wonder if this guy was named after him. Um, the sons of Lotan, Hori and Homam, and Timnah was Lotan's sister. That's the Timnah who was the mother of the Amalekites a little bit earlier. Then the sons of Shobal are Alvan, um, Metahath, Ebal, Shepho, again Mark's brother, and Onam, then the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Aina. Uh, this corresponds with some things in Genesis 36 also. Um, then I, I want to get to verse 44 and talk about that, but let's kind of just notice this. You have uh, more sons of Anah than down below. Uh, notice in verse 43, these were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Bila son of Beor, whose city was named Dinhaba, And then his successor, verse 44, when Bila died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Bozrah, succeeded him as king. And then more uh, uh, of these Edomite kings. But Jobab, what if I were to give him a nickname? I might call him Job. And he's at the right time. He has the right kind of wealth in the right place to be the Job of the book of Job. You know, these weren't kings who had palaces and gold crowns. These were men who had lots and lots of animals, sheep, camels, and donkeys, and so forth. Job had all of that. They had good reputations. They uh, uh, grazed their sheep and their animals up and down ranges. Um, And by the way, the land of Uz, um, where Job lived, is really kind of over to the east of uh, the bottom of the Dead Sea, but then it kind of goes up and down from there. And why does it kind of go up and down? Well, because you're grazing sheep. You're moving them from place to place, but maybe in the same general area. So it does correspond to this guy maybe being Job. Some people think this wasn't Job, but Luther talks about it as if, yeah, maybe. Um, and I don't know if I want to dismiss Jobab from Chronicles here as... as can't be Job. I think he might be Job. But that's the, all I'm all the more I'm going to say about that. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.